0: Chachten an indo
1: askelege.
0: Time iman iurti end of chacht er a chur. Aga sollegum a magansha gör fager er a chur enuik kiert len av winterthing. Skilte viss turmi.
1: Tashay si dokracha nach vetok ara igornamion an kiesjine ekel.
0: Vi antalum a ginaum griv Sháchtan, <laughs> <laughs> find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. Today
1: on the Indo Daily, the Dapper Don, Christy Kinnahan, and the rise of the Kinnahan cartel.
0: When drug squad detectives raided the luxury apartment at Fairview last September, they found Dubliner Christopher Kinahan with over £100,000 worth of heroin. Gardie believed the apartment was the nerve centre of a big
1: drugs ring. He was the man who started the now infamous drug gang. But Christy Kinahan isn't your usual criminal kingpin.
2: They found linguophone tapes in his apartment where he was learning different languages. Now, we know he speaks Spanish, he speaks French, German and Arabic
1: I'm Tabitha Monaghan and today I'm joined by Paul Williams, Special Correspondent at The Irish Independent, to talk about the man who ended up on the US Most Wanted list.
2: He has been veering dangerously close to states like Iran and that, to do business and to corrupt people and to pay off people. That puts them then into the international category of terrorism.
1: Paul, what do we know about Christy Kinnahan before the Kinahan cartel became what it was? Where is he from?
2: Christy Kinnahan grew up in Fibsborough in the north inner city in Dublin. He is not your, um, what would you say, stereotypical criminal in that Christy Kinnahan, his family were fairly well off. He was well educated. He was highly intelligent in his life there weren't the same what we call external coercive factors that drive people into a life of crime. There wasn't a socioeconomic deprivation there. Christy Kinahan decided to become involved in in serious crime. Some of his siblings are are very highly qualified and well-educated people uh, who are not involved in crime. But he began dabbling in fraud and burglary and larceny, like a lot of other younger criminals, when he was in his, in his teens, even though he was going to secondary school for a while, and he dropped out and became a career criminal. But you can't, you know, in the old criminological sort of a sociological sort of debate, you can't turn around and say that Christy Kennon was a, a product of deprivation. He wasn't. He was well-reared. He never wanted for anything. He decided to become a criminal, the same way he decided to become a drug dealer, In fact, if he had decided to stay at school and decided not to be breaking into people's houses and decided not to become a fraudster, he had all the characteristics of a highly successful international businessman.
1: Did that education and his background set him apart from other criminal leaders in Ireland?
2: Yeah, the story about organized crime, whenever you look at organized crime in any country, is that you look at the personalities involved and there is always going to be guys who pop up to the top for various reasons. One, that they're very clever or one, they're very successful or also that they're exceptionally evil. And he, as I said, he strategically decided to get involved in the drug trade and he did so in the 1980s. This was the heroin epidemic that hit Ireland in 1979.
0: The protesters were from the Concerned Parents Against Drugs movement. The trouble started this afternoon when a number of them occupied the house and barricaded themselves in. They say the house was being used for drug pushing. The demonstration had been organised after a woman from the area found that her son had become a heroin addict after contact with the pushers there.
2: My boy was carrying for them. All over, at 12 years of age.
0: What do we want? Why do we want this? Bushures, bushures, bushures.
2: So by the mid-1980s, he had become and was becoming one of the biggest heroin traffickers in Ireland. And in 1986, he was arrested and charged with what was then one of the largest, was definitely the largest heroin Seizure by the police in the history of the state. Of course, it was only a seven year phenomenon at that time. But what the police didn't know at the time, and this was again one of the reasons why organized crime has thrived everywhere and people like Christy Kennan thrived. And Garda was in an insular organization. It was inward-looking. It actually... It, the Garda Kona was broken up in the districts and people didn't bother looking outside even the district that they were in. But there was this guy with him, an Algerian at the time, who was making up... And he was living in a luxury apartment in Clontarf, Christy Kennan was. He had left, by the way, his wife and two sons back in corporation flats in Oliver Bond. This Algerian guy, when the guards burst in and they were watching, doing surveillance on them, they were cutting up heroin. But subsequently... Kinnahan claimed that he was a heroin addict, which, of course, was nonsense. He wasn't. The heroin epidemic, as I say, was only young. It was a fresh, new problem in our society, and people were beginning to realize it is a health problem. But the guy he was sitting with from Algeria turned out to be a major international heroin trafficker. But because Angarda O'Connor was living in this little bubble, but they didn't know who this guy was, and he turned out to be huge.
0: When drug squad detectives raided the luxury apartment at Fairview last September, they found Serie and Dubliner Christopher Kinnahan with over £100,000 worth of heroin, some of it ready for distribution to other dealers in the city. Gardie believed the apartment was the nerve centre of a big drugs ring.
2: So the point about it was that in the 1980s, Christy Kinahan was running with the big players when he was arrested as well that time, which is interesting, Mick O'Sullivan, the former assistant commissioner, who was the guy who busted him, would tell you about how, you know, they found linguophone tapes in his apartment where he was learning different languages. Now, we know he speaks Spanish, he speaks French, German, and Arabic. But he's also studying law. He got out of prison, he served a few years here, and he went to live in Amsterdam. Now, in terms of the whole story of of narcos uh, in Europe, Amsterdam is the center of that story because Amsterdam was the the central hub of international drug trafficking. It was where people went to do business, to meet contacts. And here you had this very unusual Irishman who was extremely suave. Remember, he's a fraudster. Ultimately, he was always a fraudster. Now, he's also like a chameleon because I met him one time, well, met him, confronted him more like, and he was speaking in a very cultured, European type accent, that's the way you describe it. You could also meet him another day and he would speak in perfect English Cockney accent. He will absorb into any environment that he's in at the particular time. But anyway, he turns up in Holland, starts doing business there, and remember, he can speak the lingo. And he went to prison. He met a fellow called Jube Altpost, who became a very major player. He was a major, major Dutch criminal who started doing business with Christy Kennan. But because of the fact that Amsterdam was the melting pot, the main prisons tended to be a melting pot of international organized crime. So Christy Kennan, there was no language. Language was not a barrier to him. He was very suave and sophisticated. He was charming. He was highly intelligent. People won't do business with him. And so, therefore, he very, very quickly built probably and again, this is before anyone noticed we had a problem. By the early nineties, Christy Kinahan was already on the way to the top. Like he had built the international infrastructure and contacts to be a big player. And literally within a couple of years, by the late nineteen nineties, mid to late nineteen nineties, he was classified as being one of the biggest suppliers of drugs, cocaine, heroin, hash into the UK market, which is huge. He was a major player here. Of course, we didn't realise a lot of that until it blew up in, in people's faces. And then he gets, in 1996, his partner in crime joins him. And this is a man called John Cunningham. John Cunningham was a famous or infamous kidnapper. He kidnapped Jennifer Guinness in the 1980s.
0: For the rest of her life, Mrs. Guinness will remember Tuesday, April the 8th last as the Day of the jackal. For as she entered her house, three armed men forced their way in after her. John Cunningham, referred to by his accomplices as the Colonel, had decided to go for the big one, and soon it became apparent that Gillian, one of the Guinness's daughters, was to be taken hostage. Having been persuaded by Mrs. Guinness to take her instead of Gillian, the gang forced their hostage into a car and headed north towards Swords, leaving a demand for a ransom of two million pounds and the code word Jackal.
2: He was one of the original Brat Pack of organized crime, a contemporary of Christy Kennan. And he also would have run with the likes of John Gilligan, and he would been member of the Generals Gang and all these kind of guys. And he got, he got a big sentence for kidnapping. He came out in 1996... He was caught breaching the terms of his, term, his release from prison. He was in an open prison. He, he was caught in a pub, basically, and he decided to do a runner. The person who helped to get him out of the country was a guy called John Gilligan. John Gilligan got him out of the country. He went to Amsterdam and he, sat, he met his old friend, Christy Kinahan. And from there, that is the moment in 1996, 97, where what we know as the Kinahan cartel begins.
1: Tell me about the name Dapper Don. Where did that come from?
2: I take responsibility for that. I put that nickname, on. I'm not saying that it's any great because I, I obviously been writing about him for many, many years, and it was purely because he was very dapper looking dude, and it wasn't anything sexier than that. And because like, I was in the Sunday Order time, and we like good headlines, and it, it just it suited him.
1: Did he display his wealth? Like, was, oh, no, he, was he afraid to do that? Exceptionally well
2: turned out man, like Christy Kennahan if, if you met him, like women love him. He's, um, he's an exceptionally charming, charismatic, suave. Like, if you didn't know who he was, uh, and you met him in Monaco or somewhere like that by the boat, this is an international man of mystery. This guy is, he's a billionaire, and he is a billionaire. But Kenan, the remember he's wanted on a charge from before. He was wanted, he skipped Ireland, where he was wanted on a charge of fraud, basically re- receiving uh, forged and, sorry, stolen traveler's checks. So he slipped back into Ireland for his father's funeral and when he was at the funeral the cops nicked him and he was put back in prison he, had four, he got a four-year sentence. So he stayed in prison until about 2001. And it's that was in Ireland? That was here in Ireland. Is
1: that when he decided to for want of a better phrase, make the best of being in jail and educating
2: himself. Oh yeah, he did. When he was in prison, he studied sociology. He also studied environmental science, um, which is, which of course... Not
1: something I, I expected you to say.
2: No, but think about it. If you remember the old Sopranos drama series, you know, like they were involved in waste disposal. Most gangsters seem to like waste disposal. But in all his... He's had huge portfolio of investments around Africa, across Europe... Uh, In the East, he was investing a lot in green energy and environmentally aware energy and also because there was a lot of money made in that and also in waste disposal and stuff. He was due to be come out in 2000 but he deferred his temporary release for six months because he wanted to finish his environmental science degree. Daniel Kinnan, who pops up, and I remember writing about this in a book 20 odd years ago, how this young lad, I didn't know him very much, Daniel was only a young lad at the time, but Daniel was being groomed by the father, but he would go to the prison to see his father on a regular basis. But when when people came in from Holland, like Joop Alpost, this very major international drug trafficker from Holland, came in on a couple of occasions. He had three two-hour meetings in over a three-day period at a vital stage when they were doing a major turnover, firearms, and ecstasy, hash, heroin, it's a big, big deal being done. He came over, Daniel brought him down to the prison, and he, I don't know how he bluffed the authorities, but he said, I've, I'm going to meet this man, we have to talk about things, blah, 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 we're friends. Or, so he went to see him at this stage. So Christie was learning his craft, studying, as you do, and he in the peace and quiet of a cell, but also running the drug business. And, and Daniel then,
1: learning himself. What age would he have been at that stage? Daniel
2: only his 20s at that stage, yeah. So again, in terms of timing in the Kinnahan story, what's, you know, it's advantageous for him is that by the time uh, he comes out of prison, they move on John Cunningham and catch him with uh, several million euros worth of ecstasy, uh, cocaine, but also a lot of firearms, including military spec firearms. And at that stage, in that three-year period, I'm telling you, that's over 200, 250 million euros worth of, of today's value of, of drugs they brought into Ireland. So Cunningham is arrested. In Amsterdam by the Dutch police. He's subsequently jailed. So Christie takes over the business and the business continues to thrive and prosper. And then Christie, in that early period of the early noughties, moves his operation to the Costa del Sol.
1: And is that really when the Kinahan cartel, as we know it now, really starts to take off in that period? A- absolutely kind
2: of year? in that period. By the early noughties, he was involved in a myriad of legitimate business interests. Um, he was now becoming rapidly the biggest single trafficker into the UK market. And the UK market is huge. Christie was flying drugs into Western Airport uh, when, before anybody was doing it in private planes. As they were flying in over Slade Valley on the flight path, they used to push the, the crates of gear out of the side door and then they'd land clean. So by 2002, 2003, Daniel was coming up Daniel had a big cohort of friends, all of whom became the cartel and the enemies like Gary Hutch. Young Gary Hutch was part of all of that. But the father was teaching them the business.
1: At what point does Daniel take over then from Christie? When does that happen? Why does that happen? They
2: don't sit around like, you know, on on a board table. He was basically like any father and son in a business. You know, he was teaching the young lad the way... Into the business, but Daniel then was because of connections in Dublin, and because they'd grown up in Oliver Bond and knew everybody, he was being groomed all the way through by the father to take over. So by 2008, we did a big undercover job on them when I was in the Sunday World back in 2008, massive one. We you enough know, for a couple of months. We infiltrated them, and we got a lot of really, really good information on them. And at that stage, the informant who was working with us, was telling us. Daniel is the guy to watch, not Christy. So that transition takes place around 2007, 2008. It becomes more obvious. And then, the, you know, the Spanish started bugging their phones. By listening, the Spanish police listened for many, many months into the Kinhans And like Gary Hutch, a fella called Quinn, Freddie Thompson, all these guys, and the, what they used to be talking to each other about on the phones. But it was clear that the father used to ring the sun every now and again to find out more or less what's going on, but they talk in code. But it was also clear that Daniel was the running the gig day to day. And then in 2010, they really are acknowledged internationally as one of the biggest drug traffickers in Europe when this Operation Shovel is launched. And Christie and the sons escaped that time. They didn't end up in the neck. But the Operation Shovel got so much publicity, it really catapulted them there everybody realised oh they're really big players now.
1: And between 2010 and now let's say we kind of know quite a lot about what happened with the Kinahan cartel the growth the feud with the Hutch gang and then obviously the gangland trial of the century that we had in April but where what about Christy now? Where is he? What's he doing? Is he still benefiting from the business? Is he in, he's hiding out? We had the US um, imposing the sanctions there in 2022. And so today The United States Department of State is pleased to announce a reward of up to $5 million for information leading to the financial disruption of the KTCO or the arrest and convictions of its leaders.
2: Well, first of all, just in terms of the the stages of the story, by the time that Gary Hutch and his brother tried to shoot... Daniel Kinahan in 2014 in Marbella. By that stage, Daniel was very much in charge. When the trouble hit the fan after that attempt on Daniel Kinahan, Christy Kinahan did get involved. Christy was on the phones with his son to Eddie Hutch. And when it escalated a year later after the attempt on Jerry Hutch's life, and one of the things, as Eddie Hutch told uh, an individual that I interviewed for my book on him, was that, you know, Christy came across the very suave. But Christie actually probably got a little bit of the Dublin accent back because he knew Eddie Hutch was a man of the people in the North Inner City. He was the chameleon. Yeah, absolute chameleon, you know. <laughs> you could be with this guy and he could be 12 different persons. And they, they, he did intervene at that stage. But at that stage, um, I absolutely believe that, that Christie had lost control of his son because they were the hothead, young, capricious volatile thugs who took over, who were the new breed of criminals. He has been moving around. He's been moving around. That. He was involved in attempts to buy aircraft. The narrative around him is that he is moving between the UAE and United Ar- Ar- Emirates and Dubai, and they do a lot of business in Africa, that they're safe in Africa. And the narrative seems to be turning in a way that he has been veering dangerously close to... States like Iran and that to do business and to corrupt people and to pay off people, that puts them then into the international category of terrorism. Then they become narco-terrorists. Then it escalates to a much more serious, not just about dope anymore. Uh, and when the narrative is changing around Christy Kinahan, that's it the world is closing in on him. But I think ultimately, no more than Jerry Hutch with his nephews, I think that I think Christy Kinahan, his day, will come and his day will end thanks thanks to the circumstances created by his own sons uh, particularly Daniel um I would love to see him personally like the, the guy deserves to be put in prison he has been responsible for a humongous amount of misery and pain he has built a huge criminal empire he has you know it, it, he is ultimately responsible for Daniel. So I think he and Daniel and Christopher deserve long stays in prison cells. Bottom line with Christy Kinnan, Christy Kinnan thinks he's the cleverest of them all. I don't think he's going to end up being the cleverest of them all. I think he's going to, ultimately, City Hall will catch up with him.
1: Paul Williams, thank you. I'm Tabitha Monaghan and today's episode was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Anna Veglarchik, with sound by Niall McMonagall. Archive clips from Sky News, RTE, Virgin Media News and Independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.